You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. All right, it's Friday morning. Welcome back into another episode of Play by Playcast, everybody. It is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. My name is Joel Gadet. Podcast is on social media at PXPCast. I'm at Joel Godet. Email me at J G O D E T T at BSU. Edu. Our guest today makes his record third appearance on Play by Playcast. Adam Amin from ESPN is our guest. He is uh, making his third appearance because he was a two episode guest the first time he was on the podcast, episodes 10 and 11, back on August 19th and August 26th of 2016. Which is just another way of saying that this podcast is very old. And and so am I, apparently. Really good conversation, though, with Adam, who I thought to call because when everything that's happening right now with coronavirus and shelter in place and home confinement basically broke out, um, I, was, I was reading Twitter and, and Adam was, as he always is, hilarious. And I thought to myself, who better is there in this industry to, to talk to in a moment like this one than Adam Amin? Because there's a lot of just highly entertaining things going on when you, uh, when you get Adam Amin with nothing to do. So figured we would talk shop a little bit. And we get into a lot of different things. Some of it, his brand, his personality on Twitter and on social media and actually how that poured into... Uh, a very important college football broadcast that he did this year. Uh, we'll talk about why he always eats food on television. That's going to become one of his his things in some football games from time to time. We'll talk about being a minimalist in some very big situations that he's had, including the Agumbawale calls in the women's basketball Final Four when Notre Dame um, won the national championship with Enrique Agumbawale uh, hitting a three in the semis and in the national championship to win both games. So a lot of different things to touch on with Adam that are really good. Before we get to that, I just hope you all, you all are, are are doing well. (laughs) You know, one of the things we talk about on this podcast is the lifestyle that some play by play announcers lead when they get into being, you know, full-time network play-by-play guys. I've asked the question before, like, what is your day like? How do you spend your time? Because when you're just calling games, you have to structure yourself. You're working from home, you're watching film, you're making charts, you're having coach calls, um, you're reading articles. And then within that, you're trying to have a life, um, go to the gym, uh, have a family, um, wake up at a reasonable hour, uh, change out of your pajamas. Uh, just <laughs> all those things that come with working at home and, and, and creating your own schedule. And, and and I've always thought to myself, that must be like, that. that's the life. That's really awesome. And what I've found out in, in working at home over the last two weeks is this is horrible. <laughs> now... I also have no broadcast to prepare for right now, and the gym is closed, so it's also just me, like, flipping, you know, thumbtacks against the wall as I edit video at my desk for nine hours a day, so that might be part of it, but uh, it's, it gives you an interesting insight into what it's like 
to try to kind of structure your own day and work from home. And, um, and I've done a lot of reviewing of my own broadcasts, like you would kind of try to do if, if you were in one of those situations, but it, it gives you a little bit of a perverted peek into what that lifestyle could be like when it's not your everyday. And I, and I say, you know, it's not, it's not the, the true look at it because, you know, if I'm doing a game on Monday and on Thursday, I've got a lot going on. I'm not just kind of stuck at home by myself, but it's, uh, it's interesting. It is interesting. And I respect people that work from home, be them play-by-play broadcasters or anything else right now, a lot more because good on you that you can do this effectively because it is not easy, but I know it's uh, it's tough for a lot of folks out there. I'm fortunate enough that I have work to do at home right now. Um, I know that's not the case for everybody. So if you're listening to this to just get away for a little bit and have an hour of diversion, um, I appreciate you guys doing that. And uh, we will get through this and there will be sports. And I know it's all cliche, but at some point in time, we will get back to something that is a little bit more normal. Uh, Adam Amin is our guest this week here on PXP Cast. Episode number 171 with the ESPN announcement. I guess we'll start on the obvious of um, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> this feels like such a like such a 1990s when we were teenagers talking to our buddies type of thing. Like, I felt hey, like right I, I felt like I was like I, I, I basically this is like the equivalent of the you up text of broadcast yeah. podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very very niche group uh clearly that we're uh, we're delving into here but uh, no honestly it's uh i i was talking to you before i feel like this is kind of what like vacation is like and i know that sounds horrible <laughs> i i know trust me i'm well aware that that sounds horrible like other people have it far worse than me uh so i recognize that just like right my own experience so like i I read and I chill out and I play PlayStation during the summer, just, you know, that first week of just suddenly being off work just because you don't know what to do do with yourself. So I'm kind of in that same boat where you're almost trying to come up with a new schedule for your life. Hmm. But this is kind of what the off season is a little bit in some capacity, at least that first week or two, you're just kind of like, all right, I literally don't have anything to prep for, nothing to read about that is conducive to me calling the next game or the next sport or whatever it is for the time being so and obviously you know that will change as time moves on and i'm sure we're all looking forward to to time changing and being able to kind of focus on other stuff you know and hopefully that'll come sooner rather than later but right now i'm just trying to create like a regiment of some sort like on a day-to-day on a day-to-day basis i feel like you're probably eating a lot Oh God, it's so much. I'm not judging. I, it's just that's the stereotype. It's an observation. No, no, it's an created. observation. It's an observation, <laughs> not an indictment. I understand that. Uh, like, here's the problem with buying groceries, and and, and again, I, I'm saying this from a position of like, hey, you should all be stocked and all that. But like, I try to, you know, go to grocery stores like a normal person and just like get what I need and for a short amount of time. And the problem with that is I go, you know, I'm probably going to need a dessert. And I end up getting the Talenti gelato. Yeah. And you're like, you know, I could probably, you're going to be home for a while. Maybe just get a couple. (laughs) And then you go, well, maybe, maybe I should just get like four. And then you get four. And then I definitely ate like one and a half pints in a day. Yep at one point yeah like and and it's not it's just like you'll go back i'll take a couple bites and then put it back in the freezer yeah go sit down and read or do whatever different and then you go back again yeah it's only (laughs) you only ate it once if you like it's better to eat it in 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 pieces than it is to just because then it's separate meals yeah for sure but then i look look at it and i was like oh i've been through a lot of these already and it has not been a lot of time. So that is that is a bad habit of mine that I'm going to try to uh, eliminate uh, as I as, as we all kind of move to get forward together in this. But uh, that's a bad habit. I'm gonna, again, just trying to structure a little bit every day. You ha, have you bought a dog? I keep getting to that point. I'm like, you know, when you go back to work, that's going to – the dog's <laughs> going to be upset at you. Like that's going to be a resentful <laughs> dog, and I don't want that. I don't want that to be the case. So I keep, like, convincing myself not to get – 
not to get a dog. But, you know, I people have suggested, hey, you know what you should do? Go foster a dog for like two weeks at a time. Huh? It's like, all right, that's not a bad idea. Maybe, maybe we can do that during this uh, during this hiatus. Yeah, but then you got to walk it. Like, you, you live in like a high rise, don't you? Yeah, I'm in like an apartment downtown. Yeah, so you got to then you got to get get it in the elevator and or get one of the yeah, pads like, on the balcony. Do you have a balcony? I don't have a balcony. Oh, see, this is nah. The pu- the puppy pad. You're talking about the puppy yeah. pad. Yeah. I saw it. I saw it in an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine once, and I thought <laughs> that's a great idea. It's a great invention. Yeah. And that is not applicable to me whatsoever. <laughs> There's just too many hurdles, man. Too many hurdles for yeah. a dog. Yeah, it makes it makes it difficult. Um, I, <laughs> I, I want to ask you about the food thing, though. Um, and I, I want to go like broader scope than being locked in a in a room right now, um, because that's become your thing, uh, which is kind of why I wanted to bring that up uh, as well. Like you, you have become known as the broadcaster that eats on air. Um, <laughs> For, for for better or worse, um, how did that begin, and and why do you like it that way? Uh, I started probably 2017. Um, we had a, a series of blowout games at the beginning of our year, and we were doing the Friday night college football package that year. And it was myself, Dusty Dvorak, Molly McGrath, and we had a really creative producer named Kim Belton. And we were in Madison, Wisconsin for our opening game. And the game must have been like, I think it was like 49 to 10 or something or 42 to 10. Wisconsin was beaten up on Utah State. We were getting close to the fourth quarter. And our producer was like, hey, being in Madison, what if we sent the wheel of cheese up to your booth? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Why the hell not? And I think all of us uh, were like, all right, let's let's lean into this during this 39-point blowout. And we, Dusty and I just ate cheese on air, a piece of which he almost choked upon. Um, that was hilarious. And then Molly did the jump around at the start of the fourth quarter, and we became known as the fun crew. And that, and that was – and uh, that served us well for the first uh, month of that season when we were doing a bunch of blowout games in places like El Paso, El Paso Texas – where they sent tacos up to the booth, Boise, Idaho, where they naturally sent a myriad of potato products up to the booth. Uh, And then when we had some big games that year, we would just do the game and not worry about the food. But oftentimes, you know, on that Friday night, you're just kind of hoping and praying that your matchups are good. That's not always the case. And that's okay. That's, that's the roller coaster nature of college football as we know it. So uh, with some other blowout games, we would just have some random food, you know, that was local uh oftentimes to you know wherever we were whether it was albuquerque or i guess las vegas they sent us a bunch of cocktail shrimp so that wasn't bad either uh so like that became our season and we just had a lot of fun with it and then (laughs) we had the outback bowl at the end of the year uh so that was fun to be able to talk about uh ryan nanny our buddy from uh sb nation who uh we turned into the uh or, or who earned the right to become the Bloomin' Onion for that game, and we just commented on the Bloomin' Onion. So it, it was a connecting thread from start to finish during that football season. The the fun thing has kind of stuck with you, though, because now you've got McAfee with you, which is something. Um, like how, uh, how big is and has been developing a, I don't want to say brand because that's like the cliche word, um, but a personality that is attached to um, – you know, not that anybody would say I'm going to tune into this game because Adam is on it, but because Adam is on it, I know I'm going to enjoy myself and have a good time. That's all you're gunning for. And, and eventually you get to that point where you feel comfortable just kind of being yourself. Like for me, the food thing was it was a combination of a lot of things. It wasn't just like, you know what I want? I want to be the food guy. <laughs> like that wasn't the case. But there was an opportunity to take advantage of of food being sent up to the booth because we had a producer that was willing to do something like that and then embracing it and uh, enjoying it and then people appreciating you for it. And I was like, all right, well, that's fine. Do you need a restaurant recommendation? Cause we love going out to dinner and we like, I like finding these local joints and these local haunts and all that was conducive to food and food is something I like. So I'm like that that's, it's the perfect combination for me. And that made me more comfortable on the air, which in turn allowed me to feel like it was okay to let some more of my personality out or make some jokes at some random opportune times or, 
you know, to to lean into the personality of your analysts a little bit more. I think a lot of a lot of this, a lot of that we're talking about right now is comfort more than anything else. It's just a certain level of comfort that you eventually and you hope to eventually develop. Uh, and that's just, hey, this is who I am, and I still want to call the game as best as possible, and that's still priority number one for me and just about every other broadcaster you're going to meet. But having the comfort of being you know, being loose enough to make a joke or to say something a little, off, you know, a little off the rails once in a while or whatever it may be, as long as it's, you know, people can see through you. If you're not genuine with it, that's something that people can see through. And for me, I just wanted to enjoy it. To me, that was genuine fun to be eating food and calling football with friends of mine on TV. Like that's all of those things are fun. So I think that's kind of all of that played into one another to get to that point where you're comfortable enough to do those things. They, I forget what the rule is, but it's like 10,000 reps of something before you're, you're, you're perfect at it or, or you're, before you're an expert at it. Um, how many, how many reps of whatever, uh, plays games, however you want to, whatever units you would like to work with. Wow. Um, like how, how long did it take you to get to the point where you felt in your own skin in a way that you didn't have to think about it? Man, it's a great it's a great way to think about it uh, in terms of that ten thousand hour rule, and I, I don't know if I've I've really pinpointed that. You know, I, I could probably give you a general number of games because I feel like you know it's been around you know ninety a year for the last let's call it nine years or I guess eight years. You know, a little bit short of that this year, but it's been around ninety or so for about eight years. So let's call it 700 right there. I've probably had about 300 in college. I probably had a couple more hundred uh, or maybe 300 by the time we go, you know, through those two years when we're getting the ESPN. So if you're, you know, you, I'm maybe halfway there to the, to 10,000 hours <laughs> on air. I don't know, which is amazing and kind of mind blowing to think, cause that's over the course of maybe 14 years. So, you know, if, if we're, if we're thinking of it in those units, like, no, we haven't gotten to that point, which is a nice yeah. way. It's actually a nice way to think about that in terms of staying motivated. You know, it's, it's a great motivational tool to be like, Hey, listen, you're, 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 you've got a great job and you're, you know, you work at a great place and you know, you have great opportunities and you work with people that you like, those are all good things, but don't, you know, certainly don't feel like you're at the point of mastery you know, and, and I don't know what that, I don't know what that entails either. You sure. know, I don't know if that just means every time you jump on a microphone, whether you've, you know, prepped, as long as you've prepped a certain level, you'll have a certain quality. Like, I don't know what that translates to, but I know that I still have a long way to go. So in terms of that, I'm glad you brought that up in, in those units. Uh, in terms of comfort, that, that, you know, that, that probably came a few years ago, I think, just when I finally started to slow down and the game and the broadcast itself started to slow down. I think maybe that's when that hit. So maybe three or four years ago. And that's after doing it for, you know, five or six years at a network level or, you know, uh, cable level or whatever it is, or national TV level. And then, you know, whatever building blocks, minor league baseball and your college broadcasts and all that led up to feeling comfort. Uh, I think all those reps mattered at one point or another to eventually get that, Get, get, get to the point where you feel comfortable with how you're saying things, what comes out of your mouth, how you've gone about the process of prepping for that particular broadcast, and then how comfortable you feel just being able to think of something off the top of your head or to let let out a joke in your in your own voice and, and you know, all those things. Like, you're trying to find some consistency in those. So while I'm so, certainly not even remotely close to where you'd even – give me the leeway of 10,000 hours. I do feel like it, it, the comfort level has risen up in the last few years. And again, that just kind of, that's come with reps and time and uh, maturing and all that stuff. Uh, if I can lean into the, the comfort piece of, of it a little bit uh, as well. Um, people will always say, you know, be yourself when you're on the air um, and, you know, don't think about it too hard and just let your own personality run free a little bit. Um, and, you know, I try to do that every time I pick up a microphone, but there are still times where, like, I'll listen back to something and be like, well, that doesn't, doesn't sound quite right, or it doesn't sound quite natural, or it doesn't sound quite uh, comfortable. Um, and I, and you don't know why. Like, you know, sure. I, I, I've had a criticism in the past where somebody would say, like, hey, don't be, like, you sound too sportsy. So, like, don't do that. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean don't? Like, I'm not, I'm not thinking about that. Like, I'm not actively, like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just talking the way I, 
talk, so to speak. Sure. Um, have you wrestled with that battle in terms of uh, sounding, sound? You know, it's like working to sound like you. You know, it's like an actor playing a broadcaster. Like you, you have to play yourself as opposed to be yourself. If that makes any sense at all, uh, it does because because it, it, I think the voice thing probably comes out a lot. It's like, well, so you don't always sound exactly the way you sound on air as you do off the air. That's probably not the case with just about anybody. Hmm. Like when we're on the air, we're fo- there's a different level of focus. There is a level of energy and adrenaline that's taking place there because you're essentially trying to execute a performance of sorts for people that are watching the game. And again, you're not, you're just the conduit, but you have to give some inflection and some energy and you're, you're, you're tasked with being, you know, the narration of the particular event that people are watching. So you need to have the proper tonality and you need to speak well. You don't want to confuse people that are sitting at home. You, you, you want to use proper grammar and syntax or whatever, but you can also have moments of speaking through you know your own voice once in a while where you lose that I, I don't i don't i don't like calling it a facade you're doing it for the sake of the quality you're you're doing it so that there's a comfort level and that there is a narration and that there is a little bit of context applied through your own voice to the broadcast that people are watching at home so i don't like calling it a facade it's a necessary thing but you can drop that once in a while and just be, and i i almost kind of like thinking of it as being in on the joke with everybody like when you make a joke and you kind of step away from the seriousness of the game, because some of these games have higher stakes than others and that's okay. You know, but people are watching with some stakes, you know, on the line. They're like, Hey, my enjoyment is at stake or the team I root for is at stake, or maybe I got a little money on the game. Like there's something there that people are hooked into. So you're just trying to give them the best sense of it through your own voice and inflection and quote unquote performance and then once in a while you kind of almost step away and be like hey isn't this great isn't this nuts that we're doing this (laughs) like we're talking on air about this ridiculous game that doesn't really matter in the long run but we're having a blast doing it you become the Paul Rudd meme we're we're a little yeah not us didn't (laughs) think it'd be you and me but here we are like it's fun to kind of think of it that way and I, I I've always enjoyed broadcasters who uh embrace that you know i think the eye and eagles of the world yeah you know stick out in that regard of just being able to step away and be like it wasn't that dumb like hey let me make this random observation here's a funny joke here's a fun pop culture reference we're all in on the joke all right let's get back to the intense moments of this fun game um there was a an article that quoted you talking about other people that you admire and that you listen to and um you were talking about Kevin Calabro and in, in the way that he describes things and he's flowery is not the right word, but um, he's very descriptive in a colorful way. Um, introspectively assess that one for me. How would you describe what an Adam Amin broadcast sounds like or uh, what you want it to sound like? Yeah. I don't know what it does sound like. I, I, I can tell you what I'd want you to hear it uh, <laughs> as, but like, you know, and obviously the uh, you know the the judgment is in the the listener's ear or eyes or whatever it may be. So it's it varies. Your mileage may vary on that. For me, I hope on the, if you're listening to a radio broadcast, and I I start there because you brought up Calabro. I hope it's energetic. I hope that you can kind of feel a sense of the crowd and the atmosphere and and the environment and all of that while you're listening to you know one of our broadcasts i i think it's great to be able to express you know the crowd is doing something but it's almost better to have that fill the background so you almost kind of feel like you're sitting courtside and somebody is painting a picture for you that's the second part of it i hope it's descriptive enough to where you're not feeling overloaded you don't need every single detail but throwing a detail in here and there that's a little more flowery or or poetic or colorful as as you said uh accurately with kevin uh to add a couple of those in so that fans can really at least see through your eyes and through your words all right this is how you're processing this i can now process that as well and but still having enough description to where you can see it you can see how a guy you know you know gets it down to a burly forward who spins into the paint and flips it up with a finger roll with the right hand like i hope you can picture that from the left block off the bounce speed entry from the left wing that was brought up across the timeline by that particular player. Like, I hope you can at least have an idea of that. So those are the two things I have fun doing radio. 
It's how I grew up in the business. It's how I got my start. It's the craftier, you know, version of play-by-play. This is, there is more of a craft to it, although there is, a, I think, a special craft in being able to write for TV mm. on the fly, and I think there are a lot of great ones that do it. I don't. I think I'm a little more comfortable doing it on the radio than I am on TV just because it is a reaction to everything that's happening in front of you. So those are the things that I'm kind of introspectively thinking about when we're, when we're breaking down a philosophy of doing the game on radio. Okay, so interesting word choice. Um, writing for TV. Um, describe why you phrased it that way and what mm-hmm. that means. Uh, yeah, because uh, I, I, think, I think of somebody like a Chris Fowler who anytime, you know, and I think Chris has gotten to this point now in college football where when you hear his voice, you start to associate it with this must be an important game. That's how we still kind of associate Brad Nestler's voice. Uh, uh, cer- certainly um, guys in the past that well, like when you heard Brett Musburger speak, you thought, oh, this must have some 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 juice to it. This game must have some some uh, stakes to it. Sean McDonough, if you hear his voice and have for a long time, you probably kind of feel the same way about him. So uh, I feel like those those people the reason they're kind of i think they're associated with those a they've been earned they've earned the assignments that they've got but they also write to the moments well and when brent came on or now when chris comes on or like when you hear them describe like the feeling of what it's like at michigan stadium or ohio stadium or florida state or wisconsin whatever like whatever great college atmosphere you go to which is why the sport is so popular it's conducive to these kind of Mythal, you know, uh, legendary kind of entrances and things like that. When you're able to write to those moments in concise manners for people that are trying to just absorb it, maybe for the first time, maybe they haven't watched a lot of Clemson football and don't know the the run down the hill and Howard's Rock and all of that. When you're trying to succinctly put that into context for them uh, and, and can do that well, uh, that's hard. That's a hard skill to be able to look at pictures and put together one or two sentences that really give the true value to them. And the more you can do that, the higher quality that you can do that, you'll get to the points where those broadcasters are. Because when I hear them and I hear this, you know, one or two sentence poem, you know, from a Reese Davis before, you know, they start game day, it feels big. So that's kind of how I feel about guys who can write for TV. Uh, people who write for TV are just, yeah, I think that's a, that's its own separate skill. How do they do it? How do you do it? I mean, you you try to figure out if the game, first and foremost, where does it fit in? You know, like if I'm doing the Final Four, you know, I know these are the three most important games I'm going to call all year. So I'm okay with delivering a little bit more uh, context, a little more history, uh, speaking to our elements a little bit more, you know, Last year at the Final Four, our theme was fate, right? They had this really cool uh, tease with, uh, you know, this this Hollywood actress. And, you know, how. so we're like, all right, well, how when we come on the air for the first time, I go, what does fate have in store for us? And we can kind of play that up a little bit as part of the, the grandeur and the uh, pomp and circumstance of a major event like that. Mm. I think you can do that for the college football playoff. You can do that for the, the men's or women's final four. You can do that a little bit at the women's college world series. What about even Tuesday maybe, night maybe, in, uh, in and, uh, fair, fair point. It, <laughs> it uh, maybe not, I don't feel the necessity in those games to do that. You know, when we're in Memphis a couple of weeks ago, obviously gearing for gearing up for the conference tournament, we we're at the end of the regular season. You know, I'm like, to a huge final weekend of the regular season in the American conference. I'm doing a conference game at the end of the day, you know, anywhere from two to four of these teams are going to be in the NCAA tournament. Their seasons may not depend on every single regular season college basketball game, but I felt like at least let me put into context what this night means. Hey, huge final weekend of the American conference season. We started up tonight, Wichita state and Memphis, great game. Both teams need the game to stay on the bubble. So we're giving it a little bit of life, but we don't have to necessarily treat it like it's super serious or that the stakes are at their highest because we know they're not. Right. This isn't the conference tournament. People aren't fighting for a spot in the NCAA, and it's not the NCAA tournament where it is a one-and-done situation, and it's not the Final Four. But you can properly place it into the right context based on what's happening there and in the league and around the the sport that you're covering. So 
I think those things are are important anytime you're trying to think of what is the context of the game that I'm doing. And anytime you can keep that in perspective over the course of a couple hours, you're doing it the right way, I think. Um, I'm asking this question for a very specific purpose, and you might see where I'm going here. Um, maybe not. Um, would you consider yourself a minimalist on air? I, I have felt like I've done a good job of being minimalistic. Uh, there are other games where I don't feel that I like I am, but I do feel like we're striving to stay out of the way as much as possible. And, and I, that is something that is important to me. I, I don't want to get in the way of the big moments of a game. So if that makes me a minimalist, fine. I like that definition of it. I, I like trying to be an announcer that doesn't necessarily get in the way of the game that is taking place in front of me. Um, the the reason it popped up in my head is is the final four calls that you had with a Goomba Wale. Um, sure. Which are like, I mean, I went back and listened to them again just before we sat down to do this. And I it, like it was literally, I think the semifinal was just her name good. Um, and I know it's on television. I know people can see it, but it wasn't even like, Agumbawale from the corner, good. It was just like it was. It was minimally what you needed, and it just worked. Um, is that a conscious decision you're making in the moment, or um, walk me through those choices and and how and why it came out to be in those two moments? Uh, what it what it did. I think uh, for that game in particular, you know, it had been back and forth. Uh, there were, you know, 15 seconds left. Jessica Shepard, I remember at one point, got the ball close to the rim in the front court. And I said her name. I said Shepard, as if she were about to do something. She didn't. She opted to dribble it all the way back out. And I said, uh, 10 seconds remaining for a trip to the national championship. And that was when Ogumbawale got the ball. And I felt like I pretty much said what needed to be said for the setup there. That's it. It's for a trip to the title game, these last 10 seconds. So to be able to preface it concisely to the point where you've done the setup that is necessary, I don't need to really give you a whole lot more. The score is there. The time is there. You understand the stakes. It's a tie game in overtime. And I think in those five seconds before Ogumbawale starts to go to work, you as a watcher at home – have processed all those things. As a sports fan, you're like, okay, well, it's a tie game. There's 10 seconds left. It's overtime. He just said it's for a trip to the national championship. I think I'm pretty much primed for this moment now. So I didn't feel the necessity to say anything else. And then when you get the shot, I ID the player. She hits it. I hit the call. It's just good. And that was it. Now, my job at the next moment was to make sure to look down to see how much time was left. UConn also was out of timeouts at that point. And they need to go down the floor. So I say one second remaining, no timeouts for UConn. Williamson down the uh, – uh, I can't remember who threw the pass. Williams down the floor, saying that Gabby Williams passed it. Samuelson, she got a shot off, and then the buzzer sounded when she missed the shot. And then I just hit the call. I think it was Notre Dame with the win off the title game. And then we shut up again. And it's just – are they conscious choices? Not. I, I think there is some – some choice there to be like, Hey, I don't need to talk here. I think the response to after the shot goes down to look down, look at the time and the timeouts and the score, and then go look back up and reevaluate what's happening and being able to relay that one second remaining, no timeouts for UConn Williams down the floor. Like that is more unconscious. That is more of a natural reaction, knowing that we are at the end of the game. The game is not over. That was not the final shot of the game. We, you know, that's why I do think I, I'm happy I did not say Ogumbawale for the win there because I knew when she shot it, there were still two and a half, three seconds left, so there may be time on the clock. You know, a couple nights later, she right. made the shot from the corner to win it. I said for the win, even though technically they had to come back and put one-tenth back, I still stand by, you know, how we approach that final call um, by saying for the win because it was essentially for the win, and it was – there was far less time left. I felt confident that the time would tick off the clock, which essentially it did, even though technically it didn't. Um, interesting. It's cool to hear you kind of walk that through and, and break that down. Um, I want to go back to the beginning part of, of the being, like being able to concisely set up that moment too. 
Um, and how, like, can you walk me through how you, how you approach situations like that or anywhere? I mean, it could be seven to five in the first four minute war of a first half, how you get to something and how you best shape something concisely. What is, and ironically, I'm rambling through this question, um, <laughs> but like, what are, if you're, if you're telling a story, if you're giving a nugget, if you're trying to get it to an analyst, um, what is the secret to hitting something in five seconds and not necessarily having to think about it and fumble through a note or double check something or um, making sure you're placing something exactly right? I think having an idea about where your analyst wants to go about, about something or even being able to say after a shot, you know, so let's say I'm working with Re- Rebecca Lobo and there's a player that is a really good three-point shooter, you know, Baylor, Baylor's Juicy Landrum. Here's Landrum for three. Let's say she knocks it down. I'll say, and I don't even have to say she hits or good or whatever. I might just, If it's early in the game, I may just turn to Rebecca because I know where she may want to go in terms of talking about this particular player or Baylor's offense. I go, Juicy Landrum, a really good, uh, really good three-point shooter for Baylor. They're their best on a team that doesn't take very many. Hmm. So that's, that's something I said in five seconds that has given you a little bit of context as a listener, viewer, whatever to hear. Oh, okay. So Baylor doesn't take many threes, but at least this player's good. I didn't give you any numbers. I didn't say she's 47% during big 12 play, or I didn't say she's 42% during the NCAA tournament or whatever. Is that okay? I just told you, I think that's okay because, and, and I think this is something I had to get out of the habit of really early because this was a bad habit of mine was to say that as a setup for Rebecca so that she can dive right in without having to say the like kind of the almost baseline stuff baseline is okay. She's a good three point shooter on a team that doesn't take very many. And then that can open up Rebecca to talk about their bigs because Adam, you're right. They don't take very many threes. It's why Landrum is so important. They really lean on their bigs Cox mm-hmm. and, and Smith are their two bigs that they really lean on the most. 59% of their points come in the paint. Okay, so now you have a little bit deeper context, and I can set that up with Rebecca because I already have the confidence in my preparation where if I just say, hey, she's a great three-point shooter, trust me. If you don't believe me or if you need more evidence, I'm sure it will show itself at some point and I can give you the number. Or if Rebecca, say, she responds by saying, you know, Landrum is so important. Earlier this year, she had a game where she had 14 three-pointers. Uh, you know, she she can get a, you get off on a hot streak at any point. I then may back her up by saying, by the way, 47% during Big 12 play tops right. in the conference. That Like, now use it as a tag instead of part of a longer lead-in that maybe takes your analyst out of it or maybe puts them into a certain corner where now they feel they have to respond to this long diatribe of an intro that you just gave. That's interesting. You know, you don't, you you don't have to maybe set it up as much, give them a little bit more leeway. And then maybe you respond back to the analyst by backing them up or by finishing off a thought that you may have had. That's uh that's connected or not connected, whatever it may be. That's interesting. That's, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Um, now I wish I had another game to go do, but I don't. <laughs> because we're sitting here for the next six months. Um, <laughs> a couple questions that uh, people threw out on Twitter, uh, of which I'm sure you've seen because you're tagged in them. Um, but uh, this one is a prep note, and it is uh, wanting to know genuinely how you navigate uh, all your plans to broadcast games. Actually, I'm kind of curious about this too. Um, basically, how you fit your schedule together and knowing, like, do, do does somebody have first dibs and then you have to like kind of fill holes as you go, or do you do you lay matrices on top of each other and kind of pick and choose here and there where where you wind up? Yeah, I think that's that's actually a great way to say it. You just kind of lay plans on top of one another and and whatever logically and logistically works. Uh, I will absolutely do, um, you know, for, for example, it, you know, we were scheduled to do a, however, you know, X amount of bulls games this year, uh, you know, which has been fun filling in locally for, uh, on the bulls broadcast, you know, just my ho- hometown team to be able to cover and then interlaying the women's final four kind of regular season games, like the, the run up to, you know, what we were doing in the conference tournament and eventually the, the, the NCAA tournament. 
and then any men's games that have been applied. And it's like, all right, well, I know what I need to prioritize first. Uh, I know what I may personally prioritize. You know, if we have an ESPN NBA game, hey, can you do that on the 22nd before you have to go to Tennessee for a game on the 23rd? Yeah, I can make that work logistically. Sure, I'm happy to do that. Uh, I, I will make that work because I, you know, I enjoy doing the, the national NBA games and I'm, and I've been enjoying doing more of that. I know I have an X amount of women's regular season games because we want to see all these teams. Uh, I want, we want to get enough reps in with our ESPN crew, you know, so that we feel comfortable, you know, come, you know, the biggest games of the year. And then on the men's side, Hey, I, I work on this conference. I've worked on the American the last several years. I have Thursdays off from the women's games in February. So, you know, let's, let's apply some of those. So like bosses helping help you out. People ask, people say, Hey, this is what we got for you. What can you make work? It's a combination of a lot of things. And the biggest thing, like you said, is to just make sure you're on top of all of them. You kind of layer all these on top of one another and say, all right, here's my schedule. Where do I go? How do I get there? When do I need to prep? How much in advance do I need to do? Oh, great. I'm seeing this team two weeks prior to this weird run of five games in six days. So maybe I can lean on this other prep the day before or a couple days out, you know, whatever it may be, you're, you're trying to get ahead of as many plans as you can uh, make sure everything is layered on top of one another. And, and the other thing that you, you find is you get deeper into it, you get a little older, et cetera. When you feel comfortable enough to say no, I can say, hey, you know what? This might be too much for me to handle. I, I, I might need a break. I might say no to this game if that's okay. If you need me to, fine. Like it, it's, it's finding finding a balance as much of a balance as possible. Do you, uh, do you do your own travel and uh, reimbursements? <laughs> I, yeah. So I book my own travel. We book our own travel. See, I forget. Um, Good on you. <laughs> Like, <laughs> oh, and listen, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I, ha- I have been guilty once or twice uh, in my day of forgetting to book a hotel and uh, desperately calling the wonderful people at uh, at our ESPN travel department and being like, hey, guess who was an idiot again? Uh, that was me. Can you, can you help me out? But like the flights are easier for me to handle because I have the calendar in front of me. I was like, all right, I know I got I to be in a flight this day, this day, this day. Sometimes the hotels kind of get under the radar once in a while, but um yeah, it's a lot of that is is planning on my planning on my own, which also helps because it you know you, you kind of take more responsibility of it and you you make your own plans and say all right, well I'm going to dedicate time X to this game. Let's make sure to take advantage of that. Let's make sure to be productive, etc. So uh, all that was. Uh, was important to me when I was setting up, you know, my week to week, month to month travel. And I'm sure, like you've got, like, I'm a terrible airplane prepper. I'm just not great at it. Um, okay. So like, to you've got to get good at being able to prep on the go in some respects, don't you? Yeah, I think I think two things make it easier. One is having a process, being like, all right, what's what are the first things I need to do? Having a schedule helps too. It's like, all right, well, if I'm traveling on you know, Wednesday morning for a Thursday game. Let me make sure that on Tuesday I've got all my, you know, preliminary prep for the teams done before we go into a meeting on Wednesday with, you know, both coaches. Like, let me make sure that I'm all set on this. And then I know, okay, well, I don't have to really touch a lot of my NFL prep, you know, for Sunday until we get later into the week. So I could probably wait till Friday morning to do a a majority of that. I can do a lot of it on Saturday morning, then fly out. So like you just you, you try to get out ahead of it and having a process certainly helps. That's one thing. And then because of that, you, you have a process, you know what materials you need. So it's like I better have game notes, you know, before I jump into the into this flight that may or may not have Internet on it. <laughs> let me uh, let me make sure I have like a certain level of newspaper clippings saved or like the PDF that was sent from uh, a sports information director, the unsung heroes of all this. Right. Like. Let's make sure I have the right materials so that at the very least I can get a significant level of baseline prep done uh, when I'm on a flight before I you know, meet a coach or uh, we have a production meeting or whatever it may be. Uh, next question, and I don't know the answer to this because the last time I was at the Bridgewater Commons Mall, Chipotle didn't exist. <laughs> uh, on a scale of one to infinity, how much do you miss the Qdoba Chipotle duopoly there? Do they have, <laughs> they have both? At the Bridgewater Commons Mall, yeah. right off of uh, right off of I think 287, if I'm not mistaken. 
uh, up in central New Jersey, uh, wonderful former stomping ground. Really? Uh, I'm, I don't, I'm, I, I would say I miss the duality. The thing is I live in Chicago and we have a Qdoba and a Chipotle about a block away from each oh, other. Okay. So it's an interesting, it's, really... it's an interesting, it's an interesting battle going on <laughs> right all across the country, frankly. <laughs> that's uh that's those yeah. two Titans of, uh, fast food, I, I, uh, uh, high class fast food. I picked Chipotle in my, uh, my, my fast food bracket the other day though. So. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough choice. I did have Qdoba today, so I don't know if I, mm. I, I don't think I'm going against one or the other. I just happen to have Qdoba today. That's slanted. Um, calling the national title game for the college football playoff the way in which you did it. Um, what's different about being on the sidelines, um, having a partner that you can see next to you, having two partners that you can't see on the other sideline, and maybe calling a game that you can't see because you're on the sideline? Yeah, I think the first thing was always, all right, where do I need to look? <laughs> like, uh, and and, uh, and was, it, it's gotten easier for me. This was the fourth year I've done it. Uh, you know, for Steve Levy, it was his second year doing it. So he was, you know, learning a little bit of the ropes last year. And I think this year he just felt a million times more comfortable. Uh, we stayed with the same partners this year uh, and just brought in random people as we went. But we had, mm. you know, having four guys on the call, like we all like each other. We all had a good time. You know, Pat and I obviously worked together all year. Dan is a, a uh, I'm a huge fan of Dan's. You know, I've, 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 I think he does an excellent job. I've enjoyed working with Steve these last couple of years on this stuff. It's fun. So we, we all have a good rapport. We can all switch partners or meet up for, you know, we, we met up for some key plays, like all four of us behind the goal line, uh, you know, in the back of an end zone, watching Joe Burrow run right at us or throw right at us. Like that was cool. Uh, so once you have an idea of the process of it, uh, you, you become more comfortable, which I feel like is also a connecting thread of this conversation, like process and comfort. Uh, once I figured out where to look and how to identify things and how to look down at my board and, and how much, how much advanced prep I needed to do so that I could identify Patrick queen right away, or, you know, know that it's Travis Etienne or it's Justin Ross instead of T Higgins right away. And so I don't have to look down at my notes. Like, mm -hmm having that prep built in, having an idea of where to look and when, and then just being comfortable with the guys around you and knowing that you don't, you're not, your goal is not to be perfect. That's, that's one luxury. People are like, Oh man, they should do this for every broadcast. Maybe as long as you're comfortable with the idea that it's not going to be perfect. And we're not trying for the broadcast to be perfect. We're trying to like, just tell you what we see and have some fun with one another. You know, we are, my boss, one of my one of my 97 bosses um before she saw me at the national championship game uh or before we went in for the national championship game i should say she said hey i i don't need polished broadcaster adam tonight i need twitter adam <laughs> which i thought was a horrible uh directive to give because that just gives me carte blanche to say so many terrible and dumb things what did that mean to you like, in your, like, but seriously, like, how did that change your mind and your approach? It actually made me like at that moment, I was like, okay, like, it's okay to be like a little bit of a moron. And like, to, and I mean that in a endearing way, like, I, I, it's okay to, to, to not take this so seriously and to have a good time with it. Even though this is the national championship, people may, the people that are going to tune in for this are going to want the looseness of what the point of this broadcast is. So when when they when I and I feel bad I, I forgot the middle linebacker's name for Clemson he got ejected for targeting, and Steve Levy makes a very key point, which is now by the way planned on in the rule book for the 2020 season. You don't have to go back to the locker room. You don't have to like right walk back you know shamefully to the locker room after you get ejected for targeting. And and Steve made that point. Pat then said, "Yeah, what what the heck? You got to make this guy take a walk of shame on the way to the." to the back and i go well pat to be fair a lot of college students are used to the walk of shame <laughs> and, and i probably probably <laughs> would not have said that if i were chris fowler <laughs> or kirk herbstreet doing the main broadcast of the national championship game what but because you, what if you were because, doing it with pat I feel like if, if somebody is comfortable enough to put me and Pat in the booth for the national championship <laughs> game, I'm going to say whatever the hell got us there okay. at that point. Like, I, I feel like that's probably a fair assessment as well. 
But like, you know, it's again, it's the context of everything happening around us. This is meant to be a fun, looser broadcast. So I don't feel bad or or feel like I'm saying anything way off putting or way off the rails when I say that. I think it's funny because you know what? I was a college student who took the walk of shame. So it's like we are we're all guilty of it at some point. Or we just, we just those learned, of us we just learned a those lot of there. us yeah. yeah, those of us <laughs> those of us who are guilty of it, we can all relate to one another in that moment. And I can relate to this kid. So I don't I, I, it's stuff like that that is it's a very niche and specific example of that. But I do feel like that's just having somebody say, You are allowed to loosen up for this. You are allowed to have a good time. I don't need the history and the context and the importance of this like go enjoy the game and enjoy the place and enjoy being on the field and enjoy your view and i think just somebody saying that to me made me feel like that was okay that's uh, that's cool that's uh this has been this is great the, the amount of times i've you've stopped talking and i've been like all right mental nugget keep track of that one <laughs> um a couple things i want to end with on you uh or end with you whatever um <laughs> There's some questions that uh, that we've started asking at the end of each episode. Um, so the, the the first one of which is, if you have no preparation, um, what is bar outside of like I need names, numbers, and like points per game um, outside the basics? Uh, what is one thing you need to know going into a broadcast um, prep wise to make you successful? Who's the, who are the most important people and why? And it and not all those those things aren't necessarily. Uh, you you can get those things through the avenues that you talked about. Hey, here are the here are the stats. Clearly, this guy scores eighteen a game, or she scores, you know, sixteen points and twelve rebounds a game. Like, yeah, these are important players. They're productive numerically and statistically. The other aspect of that is I, if I, if you, Hey, you have two minutes with a coach and you can only ask him one question, coach, who's the most important player for this game at both ends of the floor, because all right, this person's going to be what you build. Cause the first answer is going to be the most important one, especially if you're just looking for that one answer, the coach is going to give you the first thing that comes to mind. So it's going to be, well, this player, because they disrupt the other team's best player, this player on offense, because they're our best shooter and we need to shoot threes to make shots. Okay. That's, at the very least, we have something to build around and everything else is observational. And I think that's something that people should get used to as well. You know, we, you and I have had discussions about when to use prep, when is it important? Why is it important? Is it even important at that moment? Yeah. And part of being more minimalistic is being able to process a lot of information very quickly and then being able to succinctly describe it. And the more prepared you are, the easier that becomes. But it's also a fight or flight thing when you don't have the information you just go all right well let's just observe let's observe and see what happens and you can build a broadcast off of those observations that's what analysts do every day every game it's hey this is what I, this is the basis and baseline of knowledge that i have about this team they're a syracuse you went to syracuse like you you understand this it's Jim Beheim runs a two-three zone. Mm. Okay, that's that's a storyline every time Syracuse plays basketball. So if you're shooting well, you observe a team shooting well. Okay, that's the story now, and you can live an entire broadcast of how one team is taking advantage of the two-three zone or being denied by it. You can do things based off the simple observation of that, and the only re way it's made better is by having context and preparation behind it. But it's not as if you can't do a broadcast and a good one without all the stories and nuggets on the planet. So keep that in mind. The irony of that is that I actually called a game against Washington this year where uh, Ball State shot Washington out of the Syracuse zone, and uh, <laughs> we probably didn't make enough of a big deal about why that is why Ball State wound up losing because we <laughs> couldn't figure out how to play against their man. Couldn't figure it out, yeah. yeah. Um, what's one thing you do on a regular basis to make you a better broadcaster? Hmm. Other than other than like the the, the process stuff, like yeah, other I mean, than yeah, I've been trying to do the same thing, like to be ready. I would say, do you read the dictionary? Like I, you, <laughs> you know, I I don't. Uh, 
and it's and, and there are certain I can't think of anything that I do every single day like well, religiously yeah, make up be better by day, any but... means. Yeah, I I would say once in a while really try to go back and and watch critically. I have I have a tendency to go back and like hey let me make sure the highlights sounded okay because mm. part of you know what's nice about doing this for a while is that you go okay i don't have to nitpick i don't have to beat myself up over every single game i do i i feel as we've discussed a certain level of comfort and a certain level of confidence to know that hey I'm, i know i made mistakes every broadcast i've ever done has been littered with them i'm sure or ways i could have been better i'm aware of that i don't need to beat myself up every single time i get on a microphone and then get off of it but i do think it is important like once every you know once a month i'll flip a game on and go let me actually listen to this critically i don't like watching games back um in general i like i said i'll listen to a couple highlights but like, all right that sounded good yeah it was okay you know pat on the back just to make yourself feel like you're doing something useful <laughs> and, and so I was like, hey good job buddy but um you know, once in a while, I've just been like, you know what, you suck at this. Like, you really need to. No, I, I don't mean it that way. Like, you, like you're, you're, you're not tagging enough. You're doing these long preambles, as I'm sure this conversation has shown both of us to be guilty of. Uh-huh. Like, uh, we, yeah. we're both, we, we both can be guilty of the preamble. Yeah, bad for me. Yeah. <laughs> but again, different context. On a game <laughs> broadcast, still bad. I, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily want a long preamble to my analyst and I've been guilty of that and it's something I work on so it's like all right make sure next time you're doing a better job of that you know and and just having having something that you can continuously work on while making sure that you you're getting enough reps to keep the fundamentals as close to second you know second nature as possible um on that note uh it's been an hour so I will uh, I will unleash you back to your mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know what, like uh, your board into games. the wilderness, yeah. whatever this is. Yeah, yeah. Your your Scrabble by yourself. Words with friends. Find a friend. Um, <laughs> if people want to find Twitter, Adam Amin, uh, where do they get that part of you? They can go on Twitter and look look up at Adam Amin. That was easy. It was very easy. <laughs> Adam, uh, thanks, man. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your very busy schedule at this time of year. <laughs> no, I appreciate you. Uh, you having the conversation, man. It's always good to talk uh, talk about the the geekiest of geeky things with uh, other geeks about it. That's what we're here for. All right, that is Adam Amin joining us here on Play by Playcast. Uh, a couple guests coming up in the coming weeks. Emma Tiedemann, who is the new double-A voice of the Boston Red Sox with the Portland Sea Dogs. Uh, she will be with us, one of the few minor league baseball women's voices. Uh, she's coming up. Krista Blunk is coming up from all sorts of places. Pac-12 Network at all. Uh, we'll get into her coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, Pat Hughes, the voice of the Chicago Cubs whenever baseball begins. He will be on the podcast coming up. Got a lot of really good guests lined up. And uh, I think you guys are going to be super uh, excited over the next several Fridays. Quick postscript that I wanted to add last week, and I just didn't um, slip my mind. We talked with Kevin Kugler about working with analysts. And we in this industry often worry about the job that we are doing. Like, how good a call did I have? Um, And I urge you to think about it in, in this perspective. It's always a how good a call did we have how was your team today and more so like yeah you have to nail the calls like you have to call action it's what you ultimately have to do as a play-by-play broadcaster but more so than like did i hit the calls right think about your broadcasts from the standpoint of did i set up my analyst right like did i have a good day making sure my partner had a good day. And the thing that resonated that Kevin Kugler mentioned last week on the podcast, uh, Tony Romo is making like $90 million. We're not. I, I, I know I'm not. Now, Jim Nance, I, I don't know what the figure is, but it's probably up there. Um, but Tony Romo is being paid like almost $100 million to be the analyst for CBS on their lead games in the NFL. That's a lot of money. And he's being paid that because people want him to talk. And I I think it's a good reminder that as play-by-play broadcasters, as much as we like to think 
that we have a very important role to play, and we do. Sometimes our most important role to play is making sure that the person in the chair next to us um, is as insightful as they can possibly be. And some of that obviously is on them, but a lot of it falls on us too to put them in the right positions. So um, good takeaway that I, I just wanted to hit home in the postscript last week, and I, I didn't, um, so wanted to double back to it here. Uh, many thanks to Adam Amin for joining us on his record third appearance here on PXPCast. He, uh, like, he, we got to get some other people on here multiple times because Adam's going to be running away with it. Uh, he is a veteran of this pod. Uh, back next week here on PXP Cast. Until then, so long. My name is Joel Gadet, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.